Now, for those watching and all that and have a to-do list and say, hey, I get through my to-do list all the time. Well, that's because you're not doing enough. You're not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, some people are okay with that, and that's completely fine. No, no this is, it's fine. But I mean, like, like sorry, what I'm saying it by to clarify, when I say you're not doing enough, I mean, you're not really reaching your full potential. Right. Like, if you're looking for that growth and you're trying to reach your full potential, yeah. things always come up, like you said. Yeah. And you're cruising. If you're if you're if exactly. you're finishing your 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 to do list every day, you're probably on cruise control, and you're just like uh, through life, which is okay too. I mean, a lot of people get to that, and they're happy with that, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but just know you're right, uh, John. I think there's probably some untapped potential there, but some people don't want to go there because it is a lot of work and it is hard. Hey, what's going on, guys? Today is going to be a special treat. We have a really special guest. I am super excited, super stoked. I am here to welcome Danielle Chasen. Danielle, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. It's awesome to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Absolute pleasure. I like to start off all my podcasts with a description of who you are, what you do, and how you got there. So it gives people context of uh, where you're coming from. Yeah. So you already said my name. I'm Danielle Chason. I live in the greater Toronto area. And um, what I do, well, I do a lot of things, but primarily I'm a real estate investor and business consultant and real estate coach. And I help advise people on their journey through my online learning platform, Strategic Success Consulting, and our coaching team that we have. Uh, we have a variety of different things that we offer, different products and services that we offer in order to help people on their journeys, whether it's their entrepreneurial, well, it's their entrepreneurial journey, whether it's in real estate or business, um, we can help you on either end. And yeah, and how I got here, obviously, just like everybody else, I just bought a property and uh, just started growing from there. So Many, many years ago, I bought my first investment property at the same time that I bought my first primary residence. And that's how I got into the real estate game. And then uh, essentially house hacked. We also um, had single family homes that were renting out the basements. So um, right out of the gate, I was house hacking. I was doing duplex conversion, creative financing, like right out of the, I had no idea. These terms weren't even around when I was doing it. And uh, yeah, and then just started growing from there. So but essentially when I was doing it and I ended up in 2013, I wanted to make real estate investing a career. And when I started doing that, I decided first to really immerse myself in education. And I went down south to learn uh, from a, a group, an organization down there, amazing, amazing organization that really launched me to where I am today. And yeah, it took two years of that. And then I started flipping in 2015 as a career. And then just grew from there. Like, you know, then people wanted to learn more about flipping, how to deal with contractors, how to build a scope of work. They wanted to learn about the systems that I had implemented. And I just started talking to more and more. And then people wanted coaching. So I started mentoring. And yeah. And then in recent years, it's like I, the coaching really lights me up. I really do enjoy helping people. And I want to make sure that they avoid mistakes along the way. And so if I can help you by telling you all the things that I did wrong uh, and help you avoid that, like that's essentially what it's all about. And then I get to watch people on their journey. It really lights me up. So I wanted to do instead of one to one, I wanted to do one to many. And that's when strategic success became a thing. 
That's awesome. Now, what appealed to you about real estate to begin with, right? Because most people don't, uh, you know, everyone thinks about, you know, I want the house I want to live in, right? Let, let's be honest. The whole called Canadian dream, American dream, whichever dream, it's really the same dream, is that everyone, you know, gets told to go, you know, go to school, get a good education so you can get a great job, so you can get married, have kids, save your money, and you can buy your white picket fence. Now, everyone has that dream just because that's sort of beat into us for, as, as a child, right? Like, I mean, uh, but the thing is to go beyond that, that takes uh, a little bit more than, you know, just that message that we're grown into. So it's something we have to learn and develop and get excited about for lack of better description. Well, you know what, though, John, here's what I'll say about that. Yes, that's the dream that people feel they can make into a reality. And you're 100% right. And I won't go too much on a tangent right now because um honestly like i've said this before the canadian government is our largest employer and they actually are in charge of designing our education system and the education system creates employees it's designed to create that employee mindset so it's like okay you want to get a good education so that you can get a good job that potentially gives you a pension but with that good job then you have great t4 income so that you can qualify to buy a house and then you pay off that house so that you can have that to fall back on in retirement because our government retirement is not enough to sustain you through 30 years of retirement. And so you need to have some sort of money coming from somewhere. And so the equity in a home is something that people can tap into a little bit. And so why, whether they're going to downsize their house, like if you can get a house um, to, you know, have two or three kids in, and then, you know, maybe it's a 2,500 square foot house, it's not going to be your starter home. Typically people will upgrade into a larger home and then they downgrade in retirement. And when they downgrade, there's a little bit of chump change there that equity that they're cashing out on, and then they can invest that, and then that carries them through retirement, right? But this is all like by design. This is the 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 government creates the space, this educational space. It does not like where in the education system does it foster us to be entrepreneurs? It doesn't. No. And that's by design. We have eight hundred thousand government employees in Canada. Is the number one employer in Canada, and so if they didn't have that system, then they wouldn't be able to cherry pick the best employees to work for them, right? I mean, it just glorifies like, hey, this is what you want to do, right? Absolutely. Find find a job with a pension. So yeah, so most people buy into what you're calling the dream that, yeah, I'm going to get my home and then that's the plan. Like I'm going to pay it off over the next 20, 25 years. So that is paid off by retirement and then I can be set. And so that way you don't have a mortgage payment, which is usually about 30 to 40% of your income goes towards your mortgage payment. So without having that, then you can live off maybe the Canadian, um, what is it called? I don't even know what it's called because I'm self-employed. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, when the, the old age pension, right? So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's called yeah. old age security, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I don't remember either. But anyhow, so you live off of that and you don't have the mortgage. So that's sufficient enough. I mean, you have to do that. And that's a reality. But really, though, the dream is to own real estate. But most people don't think like at investment property, but most people don't think that that's a reality because it's too hard. It's hard to get into your primary residence. 
and then manage that mortgage and manage the maintenance and manage the tax payment, your property tax bill and paying for the roof and the furnace and all of these other things. It's hard enough to manage that. Most people don't think it's a reality for them to own investment properties. And you know what? You can. And that's why I created my podcast, the Let's Get Real Estate Podcast, is where I showcase real people doing real estate. And you don't need a lot of property, but your first one is your hardest. Once you get into that first one, then getting the second and the third is a lot easier because now the banks look at you as a responsible financial person. If you're financially responsible and you're making your mortgage payments on one house, then they say, okay, this person knows how to manage their money. We'll give them a loan on the second house. It's really not difficult. You just need to know how to structure it and put yourself in a position to buy a second piece of real estate. And you know, it's, it's, it's guys, it's not a dream that's unattainable. You can do that. And I strongly advise for it so that you can be better off in retirement for sure. Yeah. And this is the thing though, right? That, that whole education thing and all that, that we were talking about, that's really created like, you know, I don't want to say it was created in the seventies, but it's been really pushed for the seventies industrial age market, which mm -hmm. is really kind of gone in today's danger. It's kind of a fallacy, right? It's not, you know, it's, it's not realistic to expect that to work out just the way it was planned. Um, like prime example, we'll take a downsizing. Like the olden day, you bought this uh, two-story, 4,000-square-foot home, and you bought it, and then you sold it for a whack of money, and then you bought a nice small bungalow to retire in or a condo or something like that, and then you put away like $800,000, and you and you put the little money into the new property because you're downsizing. These days, if you sell your 4,000-square-foot home for $1.5, your next, your next uh, home that you're buying is probably $1.3. <laughs> it is not really as big of a gap as it used to be. Now, I'm not saying you can't find homes less than 1.3, but I'm just giving an, an example, right? Like, yes. like, like the gap used to be maybe 600,000 once upon a time. Mm -hmm. Today, it's more like 200,000, 300,000 if you're lucky. Um, not that a small chump change and it doesn't have value. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying is that the, the gap that used to exist is a lot smaller and you have to stretch your money further which is why I think it's more important today to have investment properties and worry less about your primary home and more about your income properties, because I think you need that to widen the gap again. Yeah. And, and honestly, like that's and widening the gap. That's why you're seeing people in retirement, not downsizing to a smaller single family, but they're downsizing either to a semi or most of them are really going into condos. Like you're seeing an influx of retirement people, um, seniors going into condos because it's not only attractive to them because it's smaller and less to maintain in the unit, but also because they don't have to maintain the exterior. So they don't have to do the snow shoveling. Not that we've had a lot of snow this year, but they don't have to shovel the snow and do all the maintenance and repairs that comes along as well to having a single family detached. And so another thing that I'm seeing is seniors, when they're downsizing, they're actually leaving the market that they've lived in for the last 20, 30, 40 years. And they're going to a more affordable market, smaller markets, like um, retirement communities now are a thing like north of Toronto, you're getting that Aurelia is huge for that. So people are leaving the GTA, cashing in on their primary here, buying something smaller, easier to maintain, up north where the way of life is a little bit slower, but really more affordable as well, right? Um, we're also seeing seniors going to other smaller communities in other provinces like New Brunswick, 
because they're like the way of life there is more laid back. It's more chill. And again, more affordable. So when they're cashing out on that big primary residence that they raise their kids in, they're like, okay, now we're retired. We don't need to stay here. They're also going down South and buying properties down South which again, more affordable. So you're right. That gap isn't what it used to be. If you wanted to go from a, you know, 4,000 square foot home to a 1800 square foot home, uh, the gap in the price isn't that big in order to put that big nest egg in the bank, that big cash, you know, um, exactly. in your retirement basket. hundred percent. So, and then there you go. And that's why, and again, that that's the other misconception out there. Everyone thinks that the home they live in is an investment. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't really consider that an investment because you have to live somewhere. It's not like you're going to get rid of your home and live in a ditch just so you can save the money, right? So you need to live somewhere. So really you're just trading one egg for another egg. Again, it's better to have it than to not have it because you're still building equity. In worst case scenario, if uh, you know crap hits the fan, you always can sell it, use the equity live on in retirement and uh, rent. That's the worst case scenario. So it is better to have it, but I don't. Con I consider that more of a house to live in, not a, not an investment property. It's not until you get your second one. But that's my perspective, and some people disagree with it. But that's how I view it. Yeah, I gonna unpack that in a second. But you you said too like about selling your primary and renting. That is something else that I'm seeing seniors doing is because when they sell their primary and they invest that money they're actually going to make more if they invest 100% of the profits that they made on that primary and they invest it at say 8-10% um, they're actually getting more where it makes sense for them to actually pay rent and not have to worry about property tax. Like when you take the overall expenses of a house, it's not just your mortgage. I mean, you have to pay for your heat and your gas. If you're renting, sometimes that's included. The property taxes, all of the maintenance on the property, all of that, you got to factor all of that in, right? So it's not just your mortgage payments, all this other stuff. So when you factor all of that in, a lot of times it's like, okay, well, if I take all of the expenses that I, I'm going to have to make on a new smaller primary, it's actually going to be more than what I would be paying in rent. And I can take that big chunk of money, invest it and make that 10% or whatever. And I'm still going to be net ahead, even though I'm not owning a property and have less headache and have the freedom. If they wanted to travel, you know, they can maybe leave that unit. Um, they can maybe Airbnb it out and then go somewhere else. Like there's just more options, right? But having said that, what you're saying about, you know, whether you should rent or buy, you know, and it's renting, obviously it's not an investment, but buying, owning a home, there is two schools of thought here. Some people say that it's not an investment because an investment is where you're making money. It's where you're getting money in the bank and not where you're paying. So when you're paying out for the mortgage, you're paying. And so is that really an investment? I think it's a hybrid of both. I think both schools are right. I think it's a little bit of both because you are paying into a mortgage, but you're also building equity, right? So you are paying that quote unquote rent that you would be paying, but you're also building equity. So there is a little bit of money going into your piggy bank. So I think it's a bit of a hybrid. I don't think that um, either party is right on that, but I think it's more hybrid. It's kind of both because you are having to pay to live. So um, it's not 100% an investment because you are losing some money on those interest payments. But at the end of the day, and the maintenance and everything else, but at the end of the day, you are kind of putting a little bit of money in your piggy bank. And the nice thing about owning, 
honestly, the, the, the biggest benefit that people don't talk about about owning your own property is that it opens the door for you for many more things, which is what I mentioned before. Like once you have a property, then lenders are more willing to work with you when it comes to borrowing for something else, not just another investment property, but anything. Right. And now, yeah, you're right. I agree with you about the hybrid part, right? Like it's cause that's why I said it, you know, when we started is that I don't see it as an investment in the way that it's not an income generator, but you are building equity, which could help you in the future. Yep. Um, but I mean, I don't think people should make financial decisions based on building equity because the intention is growth, not uh, new ways to spend. Now, but you, you, you touched a point. One, one part that stuck out in the whole thing here is that you mentioned like when we were talking about people retiring and um, once they retire, they can take the money, invest it and pretty much live off the uh, interest. And a lot of people don't think of that. And I think mm -hmm. that's the key component because people, when they plan, they figure they're going to cash out. And they're going to deplete the money until, and that'll last them the rest of their life. And I think that's probably the biggest mistake people make because in a sense, when you do that and you deplete the money, if you happen to live longer than the money, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Where if you invest it, live off the interest, like you said, it'll, you, you know, you'll, the money should outlast you. Well, but how about this though, John? What if I, I mean, there's, I love to play devil's advocate because there's always two sides of the story, right? So of let's say you're telling me to invest my money. I go, okay, John, I can invest my money, but what if the investments that I put the money into completely fail and I lose all my capital? Then what? Then I'm completely screwed, right? So it's really important to put a lot of thought. I'm a firm, obviously I'm an investor. I'm a firm believer. Anybody, anybody who's wealthy is investing. And so you have to invest in order to get that growth. You cannot just put your money under the mattress or even in a savings account and expect to get ahead because if you have your money in the mattress or the savings account, inflation is actually chewing away your buying power. Yes. Because the cost of goods go up, but your dollar value is not keeping up to that. So your buying power, you're actually losing money in that sense. And so it's important to negate that by investing. You just need to be really smart about where you're investing your money. You have to make smart decisions. That comes through education. You need to get out there. You need to do your research and educate yourself and not just, I've seen this so many times where people just give their money to an investment advisor or uh, even a real estate investor and not vet the investment that they're investing into. Like whether it's a property or a portfolio, a financial portfolio at the bank or in the financial markets, you want to make sure that you're doing your due diligence and that it makes sense for you. If you're in retirement, you want something that's a little safer and the returns aren't going to be as good as some other returns, but at least then you can sleep at night knowing that your capital is probably not just going to disappear overnight. 100%. I mean, where you put it is probably the key fundamental aspect here. Now, I believe that when we're cashing out your primary residence. I mean, pretty much that's your last straw. That's like your everything. And at that point in time, I don't think any risky investment should be taken. Not that, uh, I mean, let's be honest, anything can happen anywhere at any time, even if you keep your primary. I mean, if you get a missile dropped on us, it's over regardless. And I think you're going to be more worried about whether you survived it or than the money. But I mean, with normal things going on, when you're cashing it out, chances are people are cashing out their primary home retired are probably going to be approaching the 70-year-old timeline. That's that's my perspective, or at least that's where I'm coming from, from my thoughts. At 70 years old, I don't think 
that I would put in any kind of risk. I'd put it more in a, into a GIC or something. I would look for something that is sort of, you know, is sort of principle guaranteed. And then the rest of it is uh, just a bonus. And if yeah. you, you know, I, I, let's be honest, a GIC, if you can find something between four to 6%, and let's take the average home in Ontario, if you have a single family home, let's say you're going to net a million dollars on average, right? So so if you got a million dollars stacked in the bank between four to 6%, that's 40 to $60,000. You add that to your old age security or whatever the government's paying, you're pretty much almost living at whatever your working wage was, except you're not going to work if that's the way route you took. And at that point in time, it's in a GIC, you're not going to lose your principal. Worst case scenario, you get a shitty interest rate. And that's the worst thing you're going to face when it, on renewal. Um, but at least the principal is there. And if the interest rate is not acceptable to you on the renewal, then you can always move it somewhere else. And at that point in time, if it's five years, 10 years, let's be honest, when you're 75, 80, even if you burn the principal, you're not living past 100. At that point, who cares? Your life is taken care of. I don't know. I don't know. They say, I don't want, I do not want to live past a hundred. Let me just make that clear. I don't even want to like 85 <laughs> is my number because everybody, um, all of the seniors in my life after 85 life just gets hard because physically your body just really starts to shut down. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of people now. I remember when I was growing up, and hitting a hundred was a massive milestone and it was rare. And now with the technology and the medical field and everything that we do now, taking better care of our bodies and whatnot, people are living past a hundred easily. I, I honestly, I hope it's not me, but I think when we plan, planning to a hundred, I mean, if you're, if you know your capital is going to make it to a hundred, then I think you're probably good because there's probably not many years beyond that left. And if you still have some money left, a little bit of money left, like, I mean, you just know that you can plan it out if you're healthy in order to make sure you can stretch until a few more years. But, um, but yeah, I don't know, John, I think a lot of people live past a hundred now. I don't know if they want to, but I think it's happening. And in fact, I had a tenant that was 101 years old when they apply. This is one of my one of my favorite stories when it was um, her daughter and her that applied for mm -hmm. this unit and the daughter was the caretaker for the mom, the mom. And of course I had to like verify identities and everything. The mom literally still had a driver's license and it was the weirdest thing to have a driver's license in my hand that had the date of birth of 1919. Wow. I just had to like, I was looking at this going like, this is crazy. And this was in 2020, right before COVID. And um, I was like, man, seriously, like this, I can't even, wow, I couldn't wrap my head around it. It was pretty crazy. And the daughter was 76 years old. And wow. so, yeah, and I, I did end up renting to them. Um, and she, she didn't live, unfortunately, she didn't live much longer past that. But ultimately, we do live past a hundred now. I don't want to, but it seems to be a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Right. But anyways, you know, you're right. Like it, anything is possible, but I figure worst case, you know I mean? Like I figure at that point in time, if you made it, you pretty much got your bases covered, right? Like oh, it's, sure. I, I, I'm yeah. looking at worst case scenarios kind of thing. But you know, when you're planning for retirement, it used to be 90. People used to plan to 90, but now it's a hundred. You got to plan till a hundred. And the thing is, and we talked about spreads, right? Earlier on the show, um, people used to retire at 65. So you used to retire 65 to 90. That was only 25 years you needed to have your money last. But now people want to retire at 50. They want to retire at 50. And you got to allocate 
to live till 100. Now you've just doubled how long your money needs to last because now it's not 25 years. 50 to 100 is a 50-year spread that you need to make your money last. So you need more money in the bank to last that time. Like that's, it, it really is insane when you think about it. Then, yeah, let's be honest. If you're a 20 year old, they want to retire at 30 because they oh think God. that their new yeah. online business is going to skyrocket and they're never going to have to work past 30. Um, but getting to reality, that <laughs> most people will not reach those goals. Right. right. Yep. <laughs> I mean, there's some lucky people, but <laughs> so nice. yeah, you're right. People do want to retire early, but I think few people will. And uh, it's just reality. Just like a lot of times you listen to the gurus and some of them actually know what they're talking about. Most of them these days online are bullshit. But some of the ones that know what they're talking about, the issue isn't that their advice doesn't work. It's that 98% of the people will not do the work. Mm -hmm. And that's what it comes down to. So that being said, for the most part, we have a different trajectory than what's expected. So anyways, going to the whole concept of your portfolio and stuff. Um, I'm assuming that you're going to be heavy invested into Canada. Yeah. So actually, I'm, it's funny you say that because I don't know. I'm actually offloading my portfolio. Uh, I've offloaded about half of it. I got another half to go. And then uh, when we come back into the real estate game, because I had all small units, small multis. And so now I want to get back in with larger purpose built multis. And I don't know what market is going to be yet, John. Like I haven't done my market research to see where that strategy is viable. So once we get back into it right now, I'm just still building. We're getting strategic success really solidified and off the ground. And then we're probably looking in and about yeah next fall where I'm really going to be seriously going back into the real estate game. So I just want to be able to set up my business and get it flowing where it isn't as dependent on me. So I'm just building all the systems, doing all the heavy lifting, the front loading that I need to do with the coaching business and with the staff. And uh, yeah. And then after that, it's going to be like head down, uh, boost to the ground, figuring out what area we want to do this um, new build strategy. So we're also considering potentially doing self-storage and that as well. It'll just be where the numbers make sense. Yeah. Okay. You opened up Pandora's box and in all honesty, I was hoping you would. Um, okay. Let's go. <laughs> because, Let's go. Yeah. Because you know what is I didn't want to uh, look negative towards where I live. Uh, but the reality is that, I mean, again, I'm a realtor, right? So 60% of our listings, I don't want to say the new ones, uh, you know, that are today, but up till January, we will say were uh, a lot of investors unloading their uh, rental units. Yep. That was about 60%. I, I think it was 60%. It was either six, 40 or 60%. It might have been a 40. I know it was a 60-40 split, and I'm pretty sure it was 60% landlords getting rid of it and, and 40%, you know, people living in their homes trying to get rid of it, but it might have been vice versa. But I'm pr- pretty sure it was the landlords that were 60%. Either way, whichever number it was, that is a high number compared mm-hmm. to traditional you know, times. So obviously, and I'm going like, look, we always say that Ontario has the landlord and tenant board. I say Ontario has the tenant board. And I think that since, you know, started and we have our uh, infamous premier who says, if you can't pay your rent, don't pay it. That kind of uh, led into, I don't think he caused the problem. Let's get that clear. But I'm saying it started around the whole shutdown and that started. And then the tenant board has such massive delays 
that has become, and with the new interest, it's become a real struggle for a lot of landlords. A lot of, and let's be honest, what's the benefit of investing here in a single family home to rent out when the cost of purchase and the amount of rent you can collect, you know, it doesn't even add up compared to say five, 10 years ago. And on top of that, now when the rent tenants stop paying or cause you problems, it takes you over a year to get them out. Mm-hmm. So the numbers are no longer making sense where I noticed, and even in my own sales business, most of the sales I've done are uh, investors leaving Canada and going to Florida. Yeah, um, I've de-invested in Ontario as well. The only thing that I have is the condo I'm living in, which is the background that we're in here now. Other than that, I have nothing in Canada. Uh, I don't... Uh, so... I was kind of curious. I was going to go there what, what your perspective was, but you got into the whole self-storage thing you brought up that it was a consideration. And I think right now self-storage is a hot spot. Mm. But again, I think I, I'm hearing too many people get into it. I think, and this is my opinion, and I could be wrong. I think that uh, pretty soon it's going to be oversaturated, right? Because there's only so many units you can buy. And if everyone under the sun is getting into it, mm-hmm. there's going to end up being, being more supply than demand. Yeah. We're not there yet, but we're getting there. It's my opinion. Well, there's definitely a metric when you're buying self-storage. You want to see, you know, um, the density in the area and then compare that to, you want to see what's per capita in the area and compare that to the number of self-storage units. Because you're right, there's only so many people that are going to want to rent a self-storage. And so um, it's supply and demand 101, right? It's economics 101. So when there's too much supply and not enough demand, then the price goes down, right? And when you're running that business, any business, you're looking at the net operating income to evaluate that business. So, and you need the cash flow in order to pay the expenses on that business. And so, if the cash flow goes down because there's too many units, how are you going to sell that business? So, you're going to sell it underwater, much like you would a property that devaluates on the, just a rental property that devaluates in the market for whatever reason. So, when there's too much, of, and this happens in the real estate space as well, like when there's too many houses, and not enough buyers, and that's happening now, then the price of the properties drop. And so, um, so yeah, so I don't know that we're there with it yet. And with self-storage, it was a big buzz during COVID and coming out of COVID, everybody wanted to do self-storage like, oh, it's so easy, I wanna do self-storage. And yeah, you know, it's all of these great benefits. There are ben- awesome benefits to self-storage, but again, you're right, if more and more people show up in your, geographic area building these self-storage they can put you out of business so it's definitely a risk it's no different than having too many restaurants condensed in one area and then all of a sudden you know the hot new spot is just getting all that business or the latest two three spots and you might have been there and established but they can put you out of business pretty quick and so it's just something you need to definitely watch that is one strategy we're looking at but it's not again it's not something that i've dove into yet um, I'm still into the residential space very much. So that's my bread and butter. It's what I know. It's what I understand very well, but I'd love to diversify into some sort of commercial as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, the only commercial that has no interest, like that I have no interest in is office space, unless it's for my own office. But, uh, and that's 
the reason is that uh, look how volatile it is now. Mm-hmm. And right now, it's just speculation. Some people say it's coming back as employers don't want people working from home. Some people say, oh, it'll never come back. It's changed forever. At the end of the day, it's easy to predict history, but the future is not something you can predict. So I, I think we'll have a clear idea of what's going to happen in five to 10 years from now. So I, I don't think this is going to be, you know, solved in the next year or two. So I think it's volatile. Those who are investing in those office spaces, if they're right and people will go back, they will double or triple their money. If they are wrong, they're going to get their assets thrown to them. So, and we don't know. And I think that's why I consider that volatile. Where a residential people, it doesn't matter whether you work from home or work, work from the office or you work in some other building or whatever, you always need a place to lay your head to rest. So that's why residential is pretty safe. Worst case scenario, when we're in the terminal, we're in with high interest rates and prices have gone down, you just keep it rented and hold on. That's the worst case scenario for residential. As long as you can keep the payments made and you're not missing payments and going into default, that's your worst case scenario. Um where everything else, the worst case scenario is a lot worse than that. So that's why I particularly like residential areas. I don't like single family homes, although like as an investment, not to live in. Uh, as an investment, I don't like single family homes because you're relying on one family, two families tops to make the rent payments. And that could be very risky. So that's what, what my attraction is to multifamily. I don't necessarily mean that you need the uh, you know twenty four unit buildings. I'm okay with a with a like a fourplex or a triplex or a sixplex or something like that. I prefer the hundred unit buildings, the two hundred unit buildings and stuff. I prefer that, but I'm saying not everybody can get into that. Um, that down payment is quite large. I mean, it's not like like buying a single family home where it's five percent down or ten percent down or even twenty percent. Some lenders, when you get into that, they want twenty five or thirty percent down. And uh, well, when you're getting to a 200 unit building or 300 unit building, you're at the 10 plus million dollars. Not many people have 3 million lying in cash. So, I mean, it's, you know, out there for people, but not for everybody. But I figure any, like most people who have a secure income and have a, some form of experience in real estate, they probably can get approved for the triplex, the sixplex, the 12 plex, whatever, a lot easier than that. So anyways, that's that's just my general preference. And everyone is different and your risk tolerance determines what direction you're going to go. And there's and I agree with you. Now is the time to, or up till now has been the time to de-invest and uh, see where it goes. Well, it's reevaluating, right? Yeah. And honestly, like you're talking about, it's not for everybody. So what I tell people is you got to look first at your goals and see what the end game is like what is it you're trying to achieve and then you can reverse engineer it from there and decide what's the best strategy for you right so where a lot of investors make mistakes is they just plow forward but they don't have an end goal in mind they don't have that target and so that target's going to move as you grow by the way and that's okay and you just pivot but ultimately you have to have some clarity and focus on the journey that you're about to embark on so that you can make smart decisions to get you there right yeah absolutely yeah. And so I think it's really important to start with your goals and then you can decide the right strategy. All right. So we're, we were going into uh, the whole concept of that, uh, you know, things are different for everybody and, um, you know, you got to look at what your end goal was and then, you know, work your way backwards. I mean, that's the common thing, you know, that people forget because if you don't know where you're going, how will you know you got there? And I, and obviously the goalpost moves. I think the the worst thing to do is to go for a, um, you know, a reach, a go after a goal, reach the goal and not know what to do next. Cause that kind of creates a lull. And I think that's, uh, 
not a good thing. So obviously, if you want to progress and grow, and most people getting into the business investing is for the purpose because they don't want to, you know, you know, stand still. They want to grow. So that's usually the concept. So with that being said, it makes sense. The goalpost moves as you progress in goals or sometimes circumstance changes and the goalpost moves because of that. So awesome. Good point there. Now, what I want to get into next is into your coaching business because it's um, the concept of real estate investing is easy and getting into that and, you know, buying your homes and, or investment, investment properties. I mean, that's kind of self-explanatory. It's like everybody would want to do that when they can. Um, but coaching, that's, that's a choice business. That's not something that uh, people, you know, they don't wake up and say, hey, I want to coach today. What can I do to start coaching? So there's obviously a motivator there. There's obviously something that inspires you and excites you about it. What was that spark for you? Yeah, well, it's what I had mentioned before, honestly. It's all about, for me, it's all about, I don't know, I can't even describe it into words. It's the feeling that I get when I see people getting their goals and achieving their goals and having those big moments of like, wow, I can do this. So it's like taking the blinders off from, yeah, this isn't going to happen to, holy smokes, this is happening. And I get to ex experience that joy with them. And so, for example, I just did a coaching call um, on Friday and, you know, she was like, oh my God, like this is happening. We have a property that we want to buy for a primary. Now they're renting. And so we're helping them getting to their primary because that's the first step into getting into that real estate game. And so, and they're paying, they're living downtown Toronto. They're paying a lot of money right now, uh, in rent. And I'm like, if we get you into the proper home, we can actually reduce what you're paying. And then you'll be building equity. So instead of putting money in the piggy bank every month, and what I mean by money in the piggy bank every month, when you're paying rent, there's a portion of that rent. So the, the landlord takes that rent and pays the mortgage with it. But a portion of that rent uh, by way of mortgage payment goes towards your principal pay down. So there's a portion, a big portion goes for the interest payment, but there's all, also a portion that goes to the principal pay down on the mortgage, which means you're building equity in that home. So when you're renting, you're actually putting money in the piggy bank every month to that landlord, to their retirement. And so I'm like, you need to take ownership of that and you need to be putting money into your own piggy bank. And so, um, yeah, so not only are we going to start having it so that she can start building equity into, a, into her, her own home, but also um, have actually less monthly payments. So her mortgage payments should be less than what her rent will be. So it's a win-win. And then after that, then we can start talking about finding an investment property. So, you know, I got so excited for her and to see her and her husband as excited as they were, and they can envision their family in this home. It's in the right neighborhood. It's what they're looking for. Um, yeah, I don't know. As a coach, again, it's hard for me to describe, but I have a front row seat to their journey. And it's just amazing. It's like going to a basketball game and having a front and center seat. And which, by the way, I've been, it's amazing to have seats front and center. You're just watching the game and it's so exciting. And it's kind of that same sort of feeling. So it's a bit of a rush. It's a bit of an adrenaline high. And to know that I played a very small part, let me be clear on this. I play a very small part on that journey. Very small. They're the ones doing the work. Ultimately, I'm advising and guiding, but if they take a different way, if they choose to take a different path, um, and it doesn't get them there. Like 
or they don't do anything. Like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force them to drink. Right. And so I'm, I'm very selective about who I work with because if you lead a horse to water and trying to force it to drink, it takes a lot of energy and bandwidth, mental bandwidth and depletes you. And I don't want that in my life. And so working with these people that are motivated, like it just fuels me up. Like that adrenaline rush, that energy, it just really excites me. And, um, and it really gives you a sense of purpose. It's really important as human beings to have some purpose in your life because that purpose grounds you. And if you're not grounded, it's really hard to get up every day to get up in the morning because you've got no reason. Like there's no purpose. They call it like people out there. They're like, what's your why? What's your why? For me, it's about purpose, more about kind of the why, like what fills my cup? what fuels my soul. And uh, I really have found it in helping people for sure. Right. Some people call it fulfillment. Right. Fulfillment. Like it all means the same thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Great. Now you said you're not there to help everybody because certain things you just, it doesn't really, uh, you know, you don't have the bandwidth to do it, right? Which is understandable because too many times everyone, just natural human reaction is usually we uh, jump into everything and then all of a sudden we feel overwhelmed and choked. And, you know, that's not a good thing. So at some point in time, you become self-aware, which sounds like is what what happened to you. You've become very self-aware and know that that's just not the road you want to take. So where I'm going with this long-formed question is that uh, what is your uh, avatar? Like, who's your ideal client? Oh, I'm looking for, okay. So with strategic success, I mean, we... And again, I want to help as many people as I, when I did the coaching before it was one-to-one and now it's one-to-many. So I've designed a coaching program that will get, will will get, targets the newbie who doesn't even know anything about real estate all the way to the experienced real estate investor who wants to scale. And so by way of doing that, I'll tell you, and the beginning, our bottom tier program is all content based with some minor coach uh, assistance. And so it's all content. Like you need to get the content before you can really start investing and diving in. It's just like a brain surgeon. A brain surgeon doesn't go and start doing brain surgery. They start in the classroom and they get the content that they need in order to be able to move forward and make smart decisions moving forward. So that's our bottom tier program. The mid tier program, that's where you start building the base of the of, of what you need, the foundation of what you need to do in order to start investing and to be able to do it successfully. So we help you look at the market, look at the strategy, define your goals, figure out your power team so, and your real estate team. So you need your real estate team. You need your realtor. You need your mortgage broker, as you know, contractor, um, appraiser. Cause once you start going out there and, uh, buying properties, you might have to get an appraiser for the ARV and stuff like that. So like start building your real estate team. And that is also kind of content based, but it's moderately coach led. So that's a six month program and it helps you build the foundation so that when you start buying real estate, when you're ready to pull the plug, then, or pull the trigger rather, then you're able to go out there and do it successfully. And then our top tier program is where it's one-on-one coaching. And that's what I'm doing with this lady. We're constantly on it. Like, what are you looking at? And we're there to validate what you're looking at and question and give you 
really some prompting questions to make sure that this is the right fit for you. So like we've looked at properties before and I'm like, is that really a good fit? What's your goal? Does that fit into that? Do you see this happening there? What about in five years from now? And so really to get them thinking and, and make a smart decision, right? But also when we're running the numbers or when she's running the numbers, we're there to validate for her or see any red flags that maybe she didn't see, right? And so that really gives them the confidence to be able to pull the trigger. And that's a 12 month program. And we're looking at getting minimum one investment. That's where you're making your money back on your investment into yourself, by the way. And so we want you to get one, at least one property, maybe two uh, in your, in your portfolio at that point. And then if you really want to scale and you want to make a business out of this and not just buy a few rental properties, we also have our business coaching program. So we have like a, a, a robust kind of, um, set up that really will help different people along the way, depending on where you are in your journey. So it always starts with a call where, um, you know, I, I jump on a call with anybody who comes into the program and I talk to you to see what your challenges are, where you're at. And then I can let you know where I think you're the, the most benefit would be for you. And so, and the reason why, and this is what I was saying, like, I have told no to people in the top tier who want to go right into the top tier program because I'm like, no, all I'm going to do is I'm going to educate you on the things that you can get in the low tier pro in the bottom tier program or in the mid tier program. I don't want to help you set up the foundation because you can do that for a lot less money. When you're working with me or my coaches, I want to know that you're going to get a return because it's expensive. It's a big investment. So I don't want to spend six months which we would normally do in the mid-tier program, I don't want to spend that first six months helping you find your realtor and your mortgage broker because the coaching team can do that for a lot less money, right? In a in more of a group setting. And so, and and not only that, having it in a group setting, then you can talk to other people who are maybe in the same area and then, you know, uh, compare notes, like what mortgage broker did you talk to? What realtor did you talk to? And so there's a lot more benefit to doing it that way. But ultimately, I just want to make sure that when you're in the top tier program, making that bigger investment, that you're going to get your money back, not just for that one investment for that one program, but any other program that you've paid into. Makes sense. Makes sense. I love it. Love it. All right. So now what I want to get into here, you mentioned the, uh, you know, your contractors, like your realtors, your construction guys and all that stuff and all that. Like, how do you decide or how do you help people decide who to work with? I mean, I guess it'd be the same. You would teach people how to decide the way you learned how to decide. Like, how do you know, right? Because there's so many people that are so good and there's so many people that are so bad and there's people in between and there's people that might be good with you, but not necessarily fit with somebody else. How do you determine who the right fit is in terms of people you work with. 100% you need to vet people because you're right. You're 100% right that somebody who's great with me may not be great with you because we all speak a different language. We all have to, I mean, we're all speaking English, but we all communicate very differently. And so um, our energies are all very different as well. There's somebody that you're going to be like all bro with and high five and, and talk about a game. I'm not going to connect with that person. I'm not. That's just not my person. And, and that's okay. It doesn't mean they're right or wrong. It's just not the, not a good fit for me. And so, um, but they can be a great fit for you. So ultimately I always do it like this. I have a rule of three and I tell all my students this, I have a rule of three. You vet at least three people and you want to make sure you connect with that person. You need to be able to communicate. I mean, that is critical, but what is more important to me than anything 
is the core values and the core beliefs, the integrity. So what's important to me is all of that. So beyond that though, you wanna see there's different ways you can bet people. How, how are they responding to you? Are they taking the time to explain things to you? Important to me. Might not be important to you, John, it's important to me. Um, what, what does their website look like? Because how you do one thing is how you do everything, right? So if their website is a mess and they can't be bothered, or there's another hack that some people have said, and I actually do this too. If you happen to go into somebody's vehicle, is it messy in that vehicle? Because if it's messy in the vehicle, they're probably messy in their life. And so like little things like this, um, how, how do they respond to you? Are they patient with you? Um, do they follow up on the things that they say they're going to follow up on? So if they say, and, and when they say, so let's say they're like, yeah, yeah, I'll get you that quote by Friday. Friday comes and goes and they haven't gotten you that quote. Then they're probably going to have promises like that when they're actually doing the job. Like I have a hard time with a contractor that can't get me a quote when he said, but yet he says all his projects end on time because there's a correlation there. And it's something that you need to pay attention to. So you need to say or see and identify early on how they interact with you is how they're to get the job is how they're going to interact with you on the job, but probably more elevated. And so, um, yeah, if they're, if they're not calling you back for a day or two, I mean, man, if they're not ambitious enough to get the job, they're not going to be ambitious on the job. I'm telling you that. I agree with you on that. I agree 100% with you on that. It's so true, right? Like it's, look, it's like people try to put on a mask at the beginning. So they put on their mask and they can't convince you when they have their mask on. Well, when they're on the job, the mask is off. So how are they going to do any better? Yeah. So, right. Awesome. In light of time, I'm going to get down to a couple of last questions and then I'm going to go into what I call the lightning round. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Second last question is, how do you know you've had a successful day? Hmm. When you feel like a sense of accomplishment, that's for me, I can't speak for other people. Um, but for me, when I feel like I've gotten stuff done for the day, then I feel successful. And one of the problems with entrepreneurs, business owners, and people that get into real estate is because we're a lot of times type A personalities, which type A personalities are very, very critical of themselves. So you can have a productive day, but you're looking at all the things you didn't do and you're downplaying all the things that you got accomplished. And so you really have to be mindful about that and take your laughing because <laughs> you deal with this too. I mean, we all do. Right. And so start looking at a done list and not a to-do list, something that I, in order to kind of train my brain to focus on things that I got done is that every day I used to have a 9 PM, uh, calendar appointment in my calendar. And then I would put notes in my calendar throughout the day, every hour to two hours, I would go in and then update in the, in the notes field, I would put all of the things that I got done. So it's like, okay, I made this phone call that counts guys, a 10, 15 minute phone call that counts. I'm going to tell you right now, if you take inventory and it can be just on your notes on your phone, or jot it down on, on a pad. If, you, if you're that guy that carries around a pad and you write everything down, that's fine too. Just have a piece of paper every couple of hours, write down what you've done in the last couple of hours. And at 9 p.m. when you go to bed, and this is what I used to do, I would do my last edits to it, my last additions, and then I would read that list and go, 
holy crap, I got a lot of stuff done today. But what happens is we have a to-do list and then we start checking off that to-do list, but for everything we take off, we're putting two things on. And so we always feel overwhelmed and never accomplished because the list never gets smaller. And so your brain says, well, you've got this to-do list that you woke up with this morning. You still have it when you go to bed. You didn't get anything done today, which is an absolute lie that we buy into. And so you just got to flip the script, practice, you know, recognizing all of the things that you have done, and then you feel great. And then you feel like you accomplished something for the day. And that to me is a successful day. Love it. Love it. Love it. Now for those watching and all that and have a to-do list and say, Hey, I get through my to-do list all the time. Well, that's because you're not doing enough. You're not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like some people are okay with that and that's completely fine. No, this is, it's fine. But I mean, like, like, sorry, what I'm saying by to clarify, when I say you're not doing enough, I mean, you're not really reaching your full potential. Right. Like if you're looking for that growth and you're trying to reach your full potential. Yeah. Things always come up, like you said. Yeah. And you're cruising. If you're, if you're, if you're exactly. finishing your, your, your to-do list every day, you're probably on cruise control and you're just like uh, through life, which is okay too. I mean, a lot of people get to that and they're happy with that and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but just know you're right. Uh, John, I think there's probably some untapped potential there, but some people don't want to go there because it is a lot of work and it is hard. True enough. True enough. Fair enough. All right, let's get into, oh, second, the last question before I do that is going to be for everyone who's watched this and uh, wants to uh, get a hold of you or wants to learn more about your programs, where would they go? Yeah, the easiest way to do that is, well, a few ways. You can DM me on Instagram, which is at danielle.chason. Uh, Danielle is D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E dot chason is spelt C-H-I-A-S-S-O-N. Or you can go to strategicsuccessconsulting.com. You can snoop around the website there. We've got the programs all laid out. You can book a call with me, which should be on the website as well. And, um, or just DM me, you want to book a call, I'll explain everything to you. And the, the one thing that I love about booking a call is that I always want to make sure that in exchange for your time and for reaching out to me, I give you something to like some viable. So it is kind of a little mini coaching call because I'm going to ask you a ton of questions about your situation where you're at. And then, uh, then I'm going to give you some advice. This is the direction I think you need to go. Right. And then usually people are like, Oh, okay. Like, but how can you help me get there? And it's just an organic conversation, whether you work with me or not. Like I think, and I tell everybody who wants to work with me, I won't work with them until they vet at least two other coaches because of my rule of three. I want them to know that I was the right fit for them, not that I convinced them on the call. And so that way they don't look back and go, oh my God, maybe I should have gone over here. Or maybe it was the wrong decision. I want you to make the right decision. And so um, I want to make sure that you have something viable by booking a call with me. And I can give you also um, that link, John, if you want to put it in the show notes uh, or put it anywhere. Um, I can also give you all this stuff. Yeah. Awesome. 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 All right. Question number one in the lightning round is going to be, what is your favorite food and why? Mm. Oh, that's a great question. My favorite food. Okay. My favorite food today, I'd have to say definitely sushi. Uh, why? Because it's healthy. It fills me up. And I don't know why it just makes me happy. It's just sushi makes me happy. Um, but when you said that, the one thing that popped in my head though, which is interesting was shepherd's pie and my grandmother's shepherd's pie. So I don't know if that's a 
favorite, it is one of my favorite foods actually, but it's more of a comfort food. It takes me back to like when I was growing up because I was raised by my grandmother. And so, yeah. So I think, I think there was my old favorite food, which is still up there. Uh, and my new favorite food, definitely sushi. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one's your uh, safety zone and the other one's yeah. sort of the, the end zone today. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's more my fun food. I don't know. Like when I'm out for lunch and I'm thinking, okay, I'm hungry. Like, yeah, definitely sushi. Love it. I actually had it today, believe it or not. <gasps> now I need to go have sushi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was at, I was at uh, Spoon and Fork. So we had one of those all-you-can-eat lunches. <laughs> nice. Nice. Awesome. Question number two, favorite travel destination and why? Uh, anywhere that is adventurous. So I like to do things like uh, going on hikes. So I've, you know, I've hiked Kilimanjaro. I've done, uh, I've done the Inca Trail in Peru that, you know, you hike to Machu Picchu. Um, I also have been to Haiti and um, helped build a village there. And so that was very exciting. Um, yeah, you know, I've done a safari. So I like doing those kinds of things. I am not happy at an all-inclusive. So no, neither am I. I yeah. like to wander. Yeah. So, and I, and I like backpacking, like when I was younger, right. I, I did uh, Thailand. And so I, you know, and I did the hostel thing, my son's doing it this July and I'm so stressed for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's exciting to do that. I like to learn about the culture, about the people. I want to struggle with the language. I want to try to learn a couple words, you know, um, you know, I've, I've done Asia. So like, yeah, I don't know the all inclusives. I feel like I'm just hanging out with a bunch of Canadians or Americans and, you know, to sit on a beach, like if I'm doing beach day, I'm in the water. I'm not <laughs> on the sand. I'm in the water. I'm on the water. I prefer doing that. So yeah, so I'm a bit adventurous that way. Um, so anywhere adventurous. And by the way, um, that includes Vegas, which can be an adventure. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, because you know what? There's a lot to explore in Vegas. People think of, of the casinos, but there's more to it than that. Oh, absolutely. Like, I've spent so much time in Vegas, and honestly, um, it's all about, for me, Vegas is all about dinner and a show. There you go. So I love to dress up, and so you can't overdress in Vegas. So, like, I really get decked out to the nines. I put my high heels on, my brightest lipstick, and uh, we go for dinner. Nice dinner. I mean, you can't go anywhere in Vegas and not get good food. And so it's about the food and then a show after and the shows again, next level. Right. And, um, that's what it's all about for me for Vegas, but it's an adventure. It's fun. It's like date night every night while you're there. <laughs> there you go. Right. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Question number three is going to be favorite podcast and or book. Okay. So this is an interesting one because a lot of people ask me what my favorite book is. Nobody's asked me what my favorite podcast is. So I like that. What I will tell you is this, I tend to digest my information in conference rooms because early on I was told two hours in a conference room is like reading a book. Yeah, yeah. And or like consuming a book. And I, my energy goes down if I'm just sitting and listening to something. So I struggle with that a little bit and, and I'm always very busy on the go. So. Um, doing audiobooks, doing podcasts, they distract me from what I'm doing in the moment. And so I don't particularly like them. And to just sit and read a book, my energy, I just fall asleep. Like I get through a few pages and then I can't even read my own book. And it's like, you know, I just like, it just, it is not for me. 
Having said that, I have read books. Um, one of my favorites is um, The Wealthy Barber. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Which was from a long time ago. I'm just going back to like early books. I haven't read in a long time. But um, I will tell you, The Wealthy Barber is one of them. And the other one is The E-Myth. The E-Myth was uh, pivotal for me. And I'll tell you why. The E-Myth talks about systems in a business. And it actually makes references to McDonald's. And I first worked at McDonald's was my very first job when I was 16 years old. 15. And man, I'll tell you what, well, they didn't hire, like I got hired two weeks before my 16th birthday to start after I turned 16, because in the province of Nova Scotia, where I lived at the time, it was illegal to hire anybody under 16. So anyhow, the, um, the, um, the book though made reference to that. And I remember working at McDonald's and was just in awe about all the systems and how everything just flowed so nicely. And they're a highly systematized business. They brought it to the fast food business. And so um, when I read the E-Myth, it was amazing. I was just like, wow, that really resonated with everything that I believed in. And I have built my businesses on that principle. And so everything I do, like I spend my time in my business on systems and tweaking them and making better. In fact, we had um, a networking event last night or community networking event last night. And we have a post event meeting with the team today. And on, on that call, I'm always like, okay, what was great? What wasn't great? What can we do to make it better? So I'm always looking at improving those systems and how we can have our, our workflows just really work well. So um, I think it negates risk. It helps the team have clarity on what needs to be done. It helps with accountability. So the E-Myth was a big one for me. Who Not How is another great one. Yep. Um, yep. When I was, Definitely. yeah, long time for myself, uh, working with uh, just myself and thinking I could do everything myself. And that was a big one. Like that one there, in order for you to implement that, there's a big mindset shift that has to happen. And it starts with reading the book. But you cannot scale without leveraging people. You cannot scale without leveraging people. So you have to get out of your own way. You have to start trusting people. And putting systems into place, by the way, helps with that. It helps with trusting people because you know they're following your system. It's not just telling somebody, go and do this, and they do it at their discretion. There's a process to follow. So they kind of go hand in hand. Do you see kind of like how that, yeah. yeah. So absolutely. And the wealthy barber coming back to that one is just understanding the principles of investing. Right. Um, and that was, I mean, I read that, I think I was 20, maybe 23 or 24, a long time, like two decades, over two decades ago. Right. And I mean, there's a wealthy barber revised now, but honestly, like if you're, if you're wanting to get into that wealth status, you need to understand money you need to understand investing and that was a good starting point i agree i read both of them actually the original and the revised mm -hmm. yeah so i think i did too actually yeah 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 uh, i was uh yeah it's been one of my favorites as well mm -hmm. yeah and the who not how it, it is so true and I, I see it as a reflection of my own life right like i i get in my own way yeah um i never use like yeah like it, even in my original business i was in the marketing business back in the day and um it took me two rounds to be successful, like really successful. I mean, I, I made big money both times, but one led to bankruptcy and the other one didn't. And the difference of the difference of earning seven figures 
that led me to bankruptcy and going to eight figures and not going bankrupt was learning the who. Mm-hmm. That, that was literally the only difference. Yeah. And so it was uh, remarkable. So I didn't know, of course, you know, back then I didn't know. It's like, hey, it's who, not how. It was just something you did. You didn't think about it. It's not like you woke up and says, I wonder how. This is my why. You know, you don't do that. I mean, I think the people discovering their whys and all this stuff, I think that's more recent. Well, you know, we at least I grew up in an era where you did something because hanging around and lounging around trying to figure things out was not an option. You want to eat, you just go out there and do it. You mm-hmm. figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. And you didn't really question it. I think uh, as we get more educated and times change, things change and objectives change, we have more time to, for lack of a better description, to be able to ponder all this and think about it and try to figure it out and understand it more. And there's obviously, like everything, there's negative and positive to everything. I mean, the positive is we've learned a lot more. We figured a lot more crap out. Things have been improved because we analyzed it, where before you just did it. Um, downside is there's a lot more people out there that think about it and, and don't take action. So, every you know, again, everything has positive and negative. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, times have changed, things have changed, and, you know, it's good to know that. And understanding this helps you get to the next step. So I love it. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. All right, so last but not least is... If you were given unlimited amount of money, but only 48 hours to spend it, what you spend, you get to keep. What you don't spend gets taken away. What would you do? Hmm. I would probably see, well, not probably. I know for a fact I would spend it on other people. Uh, And I'm thinking big because I'd want to spend as much as I could to benefit as many people as I could. So what came to mind for me there was... Uh, a commercial jet with about two, 300 people to put on that plane. I don't know where we're going yet. I'm thinking we're renting a private island and maybe I have another jet full of people to entertain us for the two days. So it would be like, maybe I told you so Soleil. So, I mean, we're talking like top-notch chefs like Gordon Ramsay. I'd be like paying him a million dollars to come. We're talking about Taylor Swift coming and doing a concert and Usher and a whole bunch of other like big names. So, um, so we need good food. We need good entertainment on a good, you know, private island beach resort for all of my friends. Um, and yeah, I think that's what I would do. Just have a big party for two days. All right. Hang on. I'm going to go pack my bag. Hold on. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's what I would do. Like, yeah. Think big. Yeah. Think big. Or, or what I would do actually now. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Uh-huh. Why does it have to be or instead of and? Because remember, I said you had to spend it in two days. I didn't say you have to do it in two days. Well, I can't split us up in. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, so we do the private island <laughs> on day one. And then day two, we're all going into space. So there we go. I'm calling Let's Elon go. Musk and we're getting on those whatever rockets that he has going and maybe we do well there's one that blew up so maybe we don't do that company we do the other one and then <laughs> yeah and then we go up and then we all like yeah we just like just as many people as i can like have everybody go up into space and have that um and i think it's like what is it like quarter million dollars per ride or something like that the half a million dollars per ride so yeah so i think uh just putting as many of my friends up into space and having that cool awesome moment uh would be amazing maybe i buy the spaceship 
actually, yeah. There we go. We'd do that. And then uh, I would get Elon Musk to make our own spaceship, like for a bunch of people. And yeah, and that that would bring lots of dollars. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> there we go. There we go. We're going to have a party on an island and go to space for uh, for dessert. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Danielle, it's been amazing. I Thank you so very much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much, John. Absolute pleasure. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you for the next show. Bye for now.